The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. It's Christina Bowling with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. And if you like this podcast, feel free to share it with a friend or give it a review or follow it. We'd appreciate that. I'm talking today to two leaders at Queen's University of Charlotte, University President Dan Lugo and Adrian Amador Oti, who is Vice President for Strategic Enrollment and Communications. We sat down on the campus of Queen's University to talk about Queen's rich history in Charlotte and big developments and changes that are happening there, including the school's move to Division I sports and this year's freshman class, which is the largest in the school's history. We also talked about challenges that colleges and universities are experiencing nationwide and what the future holds for higher education in Charlotte. We hope you enjoy the conversation. It's great to be here on the campus of Queens University. It is a crisp, beautiful fall morning. As I was walking to this podcast studio, I saw students, you know, hustling to class and professors walking between buildings and just a lot of energy. I'm excited to, to welcome President Dan Lugo to the podcast, as well as Adrian Amador Odi, who's Vice President for Strategic Enrollment and Communications at Queens. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's great to be here, Christina. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, so happy to be here. Great. Well, I wanted just to start off for people who are listening who might not be too familiar with Queens to hear a little bit from you about the about the background of the university. Queens is a, a really, really historic and fascinating place. And we are the original higher education institution of the great city of Charlotte. We were founded in 1857. And if you think about 1857 and how profound it was that a group of leaders founded a higher education institution dedicated exclusively to the education of women, right? This is a place that was doing that work when it was vastly unrepresented, vastly unpopular, and doing it long before many places and many regions in the country. So we sit on top of a really wonderful history. And one of the things that I love about Queens and its history is its ability to adapt, to change, and to evolve from that really fantastic start. And the vast majority of our history was spent as an institution dedicate, dedicated to the education of women in an undergraduate setting. But over the years, you know, we have done so many interesting things. We were founded in the center of Charlotte. Hence, there's a street by the name of College Street. We were there in 1857 and beyond. And towards the turn of the 20th century, the city leaders thought it was a really great idea to expand and create a suburb now known as Myers Park. And when they thought about what would be a great anchor tenant, they thought a great higher education institution. So Queens kind of rose to the occasion at that moment and abandoned its really wonderful properties in the center of the city and moved to this really bucolic former farmland area outside of the city of Charlotte. And, you know, we can show you the aerials of that moment in 1908, 1911, and contrast that with now, and it's amazing to see how everything kind of filled in around us in really, really wonderful ways. But, you know, we've changed our name three times. We've changed locations. We've merged with two other schools. We have, you know, went co-education, educational twice. We have evolved into a comprehensive university. So this is a place that's always on the move. 
and always looking to adapt to the market. Tell me a little bit about what brought you to Queens. And I know that you had an interesting career even before you entered academia. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, happy to do that. And so I came to Queens in 2019. And this is the fourth institution of higher education that I've worked at. And Previously worked at some great liberal arts colleges at Colby College, at Franklin Marshall College, at Carleton College. And as you mentioned, this is kind of a second career for me. I am a recovering attorney. Mm-hmm. I was an attorney in New York City for nine years and worked, you know, kind of in the intellectual property licensing world of kind of the media and entertainment uh, spheres. And it's been a really rich education. And, and I love how, you know, what felt pretty random at times kind of going through it has now made sense as I've arrived at, at being, you know, a, a university president. I get to use the, the accumulation of education and skills over those previous, you know, now 30 plus years and really, really kind of everyday circumstances. But you also asked me what brought me to Queens. And uh, a couple easy answers is just how incredible this community is. The people of Queens, you know, you have gotten to know the place well, I I think. And there is something signature about the warmth of this community, about the caring that we take of each individual in this community. And there's something really dynamic about our education, right? We have avoided the battle of the pre-professional versus the liberal arts and embraced both sides of that experience to create a cutting-edge, integrated, multidisciplinary experience that fuses in from day one responsibility for the outcomes of our students and getting great career opportunities. I, I don't know that there are as many institutions across the country that do both of those things simultaneously and well. I know, Adrian, you're somewhat new to Queens as well. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I've been here for two years now, and it's been an exciting and dynamic two years for sure. Good work. Good work. (laughs) (laughs) If you're hearing a theme here, it's that Queens is a dynamic place (laughs) for sure. But I, I came to Queens most recently from Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, also spent some time at another residential liberal arts college in Kenyon College, and so you'll see some commonalities in, in places where, where Dan and I have been, but I also had the privilege of working at another comprehensive university in Georgia and Barry College, and at a tier one research university at University of Rochester. So I've seen a lot of different ways of, of putting university experience together, and I'm just really compelled by the combination of opportunities we have here in Charlotte and the way we support and nurture our students and and connect them with the many and growing opportunities that this great city has. Great. I guess anyone who's been paying attention to Queens in the last year or two knows about the move to Division One and what a big step that that was. So I wanted just to have you talk a little bit about the reason behind that move, what it's been like over the last year, and if it's looking back, if it's what you expected that it would have been. Yeah, and and, and we're very, very proud and excited of the move that we've made. We are now in our second year of competition and what the NCA defines as reclassification, right? So we were a dominant, dominant Division II um, athletic program with 26 NCA sports. You know, in essence, we kind of have everything except for football, right? And we we don't want to talk about that. We're very happy not to have football. And, you know, one of the things I've said on repeat is, you know, the new administration uh, did not make, you know, 
athletics important to Queens. Those were choices that were made, you know, long before I arrived and they were leveraged, you know, really, really well, right? For four or five years, we were in the top 10 of all division two programs in the nation, you know, consistently because of the volume of, of, of championships that we had won, right? We, we had the longest streak going in America of national championships in any sport with our, our men's and women's swimming programs who had won seven national championships in a row. So there was nothing wrong with our athletic programs. We were getting great student athletes. We were winning. We were proud. What, you know, a new board and a new administration and kind of community question rose when, when, when we arose, arrived was to what end? What's the return on investment, right? Because it's a huge commitment to doing that. And we asked questions like, is it helping us recruit any non-student athletes? Is it really, you know, creating an important brand for us in our local market or in our, you know, regional and national uh, markets? And after some research and some time to really do that analysis, we weren't getting enough ROI for who we were. Even in our own backyard, many charlatans would not have defined us, right, which would be accurate. If you measure by championships, uh, conference championships, national championships, all Americans, we were the best athletic program in Western North Carolina. I, you know, if you walked around Charlotte and asked that, no one, you know, and I've, and I've got this wonderful, you know, anecdotal story about evidence of that. So we have the question at hand of, so what do we do about that? We thought that we actually look like, spent like, and performed like with our talent level as a mid-major Division One program. And we really kind of spent a year asking the questions of, you know, what would that cost? Would we fit into different, you know, uh, conferences? And what could we get access to as a result of that? And so we did make the decision to join the Atlantic Sun Conference, which is a wonderful conference that has uh, home institutions in most of the growing metropolitan areas of the Southeast, right? I'm sure at some point your, your, your audience has, you know, paid attention to the demographics of the United States. There's this incredible shifting of populations to the southeastern United States. And so this gives us access to those great cities of, you know, of Jacksonville and Orlando and Atlanta and Nashville and Louisville, and I can go on, right? And, you know, getting back uh, to the point of the question, we're, we're very proud of how that's gone in just year one. We're incredibly proud of our student athletes, our coaches, the administration, the faculty that has come together around, you know, doing things differently. You know, it's, it's, it's a different experience for our student athletes and coaches, for our students to go from a conference that we used to travel by bus to for most of our competition to actually going to the airport, spending more time on planes, spending more time in hotels, right? That's a different student athlete experience. And we couldn't be more proud of the fact that we had in, in last year, we had one of our best uh, um, years of academic performance for all of our programs. Every single one of our NCA programs had a GPA of above 3.0, except for one. And it was one of our highest averages. I think it was a 3.37 or something yep. like that across the athletic community. So with more travel, more rigor, and probably more practice time, our student athletes really stepped up and rose to the occasion. How do you explain that? Why did that happen? Or can you? 
think it was an, an everything, everywhere, all at once. As, as Dan <laughs> was talking, it, this was a community effort, right? And the, the student athletes stepped up, the faculty stepped up, the staff stepped up. We added additional support services and and the experience changed absolutely in and really easy to understand ways for our student athletes they're traveling differently they're practicing with greater purpose there's a there's a bit of a, a scrappiness when you start in a new league with new folks at a new level and so the hunger that we were we were seeing in our student athletes really permeated throughout the student body and so we had more fans at games, certainly more folks from Charlotte. We, we'd love to see you on campus and out of the sports complex at, at our games and watch us continue to level up. But our students who weren't involved in athletics were participating more in, in the athletic experience, building that school spirit up. We, we had a packed house at our first basketball game and it came down to the buzzer and that arena was just wild. And so that really started the momentum and we've just continued to carry that throughout the year. And as we stack up wins, our, our AD talks about stacking up little wins when you go from competing at the national level and then the NCAA takes away that opportunity for a few years while you transition. We are looking at those moments and and the moments of stacking up wins is something that we think about across this entire community. So packed houses for Deepak Chopra in the spring, that was a win for the community, you know, seeing students on campus at commencement and looking out on the lawn and having that lawn be packed with parents and families and alums in the area to celebrate that achievement, that's another win. Uh, um, Hundreds of faculty publications that came out this year, another win. And so that culture of winning that we've had for a really long time, we've just continued to expand it, certainly within this move to Division I athletics, but across the university overall. You know, and I think a few things to add to this, if you, if you don't mind, right? So what what it's really helping us do is to tell our story more broadly and, and to get more people to care about our story. And we're seeing evidence of that when we look at the data of traffic on our social media channels, on our website. You know, so our story, right, there, there's, there's something about the power of athletics to pique interest, right? Even if you're not a sports fan, but I also want to give a huge, huge shout out, right? And you've, you've worked with our students and thank you for being sure. you know, a member of our faculty here in our community. It gets back to what I said at the start of what brought me here, the care of the individual, right? The reasons, part of the reasons why we've been so successful in the classroom during this transition is because of our faculty, of the way they've nurtured our student athletes through this experience and thoughtfully thought about the curriculum and thoughtfully thought about you know, how they can fill some of those gaps that our students are going to naturally have, you know, from a really kind of complex schedule. And year two is off to a great start, right? And stay tuned for even, you know, bigger atmospheres, bigger opportunities, right? We can't wait till to our men's basketball team heads down the road and plays Clemson, right? And and stay tuned. We're going to give them a, you know, a real battle. We can't wait till our men's basketball team goes out to, you know, Cameron Indoor Arena and plays Duke on December 30th. And the whole entire nation gets a chance to see it because it actually will be a national broadcast on the CW. Just one quick question on this, and then we can move on to another topic. But I'm curious about, I know when you make a jump like that, there's growing pains and you referred to it. It's, yeah. you know, more time for students. They're p- playing schools that they never played that they, you know, the losses may be harder at first. Do you feel like you saw that diminishing 
this year and also just in terms of the cost to the university? Yeah, uh, you know, so diminishing, I think we're getting used to, right? We made a decision, right, in May of, you know, what was that? That was 2022, mm-hmm. right? And then come August, we were playing a Division One season, right? It was like, you know, clap two times, and we're we're now, you know, we're, we we had full Division Two schedules that we scrapped, and we had to build Division One schedules, right? And with the same student athlete community just stepping up, right? So that sudden change was incredible. I mean, it was a Herculean effort, right, to meet all of those challenges, including what it felt like on the field, right, of going head to head with some of the best student athletes in the country at the Division One level. This year, we're just much more prepared, right? This year, we feel like, you know, we, we kind of are owners of our own narrative, right? And hence, we're competing. Hence, we feel like, you know, the schedule is something that we are doing versus it's doing it to us. And so that's fantastic. You know, we we spent a lot of time with our board analyzing the different costs between being a Division II institution and being a Division One institution. And in candor, there are more costs. But in essence, we have, you know, thought of those costs as, a, you know, a part of what we would do and worth the investment to bring that increased attention to us. And, you know, we, we, we are, I think, think ingesting those costs in, in, in appropriate ways. Still, you know, not, you know, we're not a power five institution, so we don't spend like a power five institution. And, and, and I think all of those things are normalizing at, at a really, really good pace. I wanted to talk a little bit about enrollment. And when I looked at, I know you all put out some information a couple of weeks ago about this being the largest incoming class this year that Queens has ever had. Why? How did that happen? So, so Queens for, for many, many years has been aiming to recruit 400 new students in this community. We think we can serve that number of students really well, and that's been a longstanding goal. Um, the pandemic put, turned a few things upside down, and so we had to shift gears like many places and spaces to work just to move through the pandemic. And, and as we're emerging, hopefully, from the pandemic, we put together a strategy a couple of years ago to get back to that original goal of 400 and then to start outperforming that. And so it's really a collection of strategies and tactics that we've used to get us to this class that we are confident we can sustain and improve upon going forward. So looking at the types of communities we were visiting and not dissimilar from our athletic conference, we were really focused on the great state of North Carolina. And certainly Queens from its founding has been an institution that has been in alignment with Charlotte and with the state of North Carolina. But as the population change changes and as people's travel patterns shift, we knew that as Charlotte's becoming a global city, Queens needs to be a global university. And so we've expanded our recruitment efforts, certainly throughout the Southeast, and are dipping our toes into more robust international recruiting and showing up in different high schools and telling our story with greater confidence was a huge component that drove this enrollment increase. And and that's something that we have to build. This is a, a people place 
and the work in building new student and inviting new students to join our community is very people-centered work. And so that boots-on-the-ground approach with admission officers, visiting more and different high schools was, you know, step one. Layering on the move to Division One athletics and knowing, okay, our new athletic conference is going to show up in Birmingham area, in Atlanta area, in Nashville, in Louisville, up at Richmond, Greenville, over in Raleigh. We added the general recruitment plan layered onto that athletic conference. So we're showing up more in general as queens in those spaces too. We've engaged our alumni in some of those key cities to also do some events with us. So this is a a multi-divisional cross-university approach of really centering what we care most about which is which is our people and and making people better adding oh, go ahead no 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 I, I I just just wanted to pile on and and and, and congratulate the vice president Odie on leading that effort right of knitting together the art and science of enrollment because it really is an art and a science and Adrian's expertise brings both of those to the forefront. And how do you really tell the story of what's distinguishable and distinctive of your collegiate community? And also, you know, it's a big data exercise, too, because you've got to talk to a whole lot of people, right? And you've got to talk to them earlier than, than you used to, right? I mean, Adrian is, is, is communicating with ninth and 10th graders, you know, and building that affinity and that awareness of what's really great about Queens and why some of the smartest students in the world should consider us as a great destination for the undergraduate experience and also why people should be skilling up right, for their graduate experience. And this was, you know, Adrian used the kind of term that comes from the movie, but everything, you know, everywhere all at once. It really is that. You have to do everything well, right? And while, you know, I get that question like, woo, D1, that really, you know, D1's just part of the strategy, right? I I always remind folks, you know, because it's, you know, hey, Charlotte's a sports town and the South is a sports area. They're like, woo. You kind of made it, right? You're D1. D1 is not the destination. D1 is a tactic, right? The destination is truly creating a premier comprehensive university that the world knows about here in Charlotte that is Queens University. And so all of these strategies are coalescing. They're coming together. And it takes, you know, stacking good work, you know, from two years ago to last year, to this year, that will continue to show, you know, a growing pattern of interest, a growing likelihood that more and more students will like what we offer. What areas of study are big here now on campus? What what schools are seeing a lot of demand and enrollment? When, when you in, increase enrollment by 36%, we're seeing demand increase across the board for sure. But our, our popular programs here, we continue to serve a community need by having nursing as our most popular major and most popular program. And we've expanded pathways into the nursing program here in just the last couple of years. So high school students from all around the country have an opportunity to go directly into our nursing program from high school, which alleviates a lot of the anxiety from the decision-making process most students experience starting a school at a couple of years for a couple of years and then needing to apply to incredibly competitive programs. And with Charlotte growing, we can 
we can move up and down the number of students we need in our nursing program to meet the demands. So we don't have the same pressures for clinical spots that places that might not have access to these amazing healthcare systems. So we can continue to meet the moment on that front. We also are seeing growth in, in areas that are really popular for high school students to study and think about in things like psychology and biology. Those are really standard popular majors because a lot of people are interested in what and how we're thinking and, and how that manifests itself in the way we're living. Other things that are really exciting and we're seeing greater interest here at Queens are and our analytics program is brand new and it's multidisciplinary in uh, scope and design because um, data is everywhere. And the more we can help people understand how to collect, analyze, and then communicate what they're seeing about data, the, the better we're going to, to improve and the faster we can make those improvements. So we're seeing a lot of momentum around analytics. We're also, Dan mentioned Charlotte being a sports town, and so have made some adjustments to the way we package the educational experience for students studying and interested in sports communication and really have expanded that to be more multimedia in approach because the world is not just written, it's not just spoken, it's not just a photo, it's all of those things all at once. And so we're seeing a lot of growth there and um, also in the ways that students communicate about health. I think especially as we are emerging from the pandemic, trying to make sense of all of the information that one can learn about, particularly around health, is, is really difficult. And so we have made adjustments to our communications program and are seeing many, many more students wanting to come to Queens to learn and to live at the intersection, practitioners and clinicians and the rest of the world that needs to understand what these practitioners are doing. And so our students are coming in at the undergraduate and graduate level, excited and ready to communicate what's happening in the science to folks who aren't steeped in that world day to day. I wanted to talk a little bit about the higher ed landscape. And I know that COVID upended every part of our world, but including higher ed. And a lot of nationally smaller schools saw declines and some didn't make it through. Yeah. And so I wanted to hear just how, you know, your thoughts on how Queens fared through this. I know enrollment dipped like it did at many places, but, you know, as you're seeing what happened and then coming out, what does it look like? Yeah, you know, when you talk about higher education and the future of higher education, you have to be comfortable with a, you know, a, a few significant just kind of dichotomies, right? I think, and I'm, I'll, I'll be on record for it, uh, that this is, you know, one of the most exciting times for American higher education, perhaps in the last century. And it, it really is because we, because of the market, because of the competition, because of, you know, what we are forcing to adapt to, we are getting better at what we do, right? The experience that I had in the 1980s, right, pales in comparison to the experience that students are having right now, the richness of the learning. And some of that is because of technology. Some of that is because of the way professors are now so much more dynamic at the way they infuse data into the humanities. And, you know, we are preparing students so incredibly well. So 
the whole picture of American higher education is really, really great. We have incredible affinities to every, you know, every school has an alumni body, has people that love that place. And if there are almost 4,000 undergraduate institutions with a country that is graduating fewer number of high school graduates with more competition coming up in especially English speaking competitive nations like England and Canada and Australia that are offering similar English-based instruction that we do, right? There might not be as many students as we had in the late 90s, but that doesn't mean that American higher education isn't thriving, right? So we have to be comfortable in that. Then you have to ask the question, well, who's thriving? And there there are these kind of three streams, right, right now in American higher education. There, there are a group of institutions that because of the strength of their brand, I would say, not necessarily because of how good they are at educating students, but their brand is so strong, you know, they, they can't get out of the way of more interest, of, of, of more resources, of more philanthropy, because there's a real flight to perceived quality. Right, so we're seeing land grant institutions that's just really getting stronger. You're seeing those elite private and you know Ivy League institutes really just, and everyone is fixated on those things. Right, that's what that's what the New York Times, that's what the Wall Street Journal, and that's what seems to be you know the you know the cocktail hour conversation is about those institutions. And then there's another group that's at the bottom of the spectrum that because of their market position. Right, either they're in a tough geography, right, that isn't growing, and that people don't want to get their education because it doesn't connect them to where they want to be, or they have an antiquated approach toward learning, that they're having to redefine themselves. Right, they're looking at lots of M and A types of things. They're merging. They're selling parts of themselves. They are lopping off parts of their curriculum. And then there's a middle there, right? And I would say that, you know, Queens is straddling that line of the middle and to the most privileged institutions. And I believe that because of the quality of what we offer and because of the dynamic space that we occupy in one of the best, best markets in the world, we need, right, to keep growing and elevating into that, you know, incredibly, incredibly competitive top group. And I think we're really close. I think we're very, very, very close to that. But this is an important decade for us, right? There's going to be a lot of shoots and ladders. Places are, you know, if you are just, you know, thinking you're staying the same today, you know what you actually are? You're getting worse. You're moving into that lower group. And guess what? If you're in the middle and you're just doing incremental things and getting a little bit better, congratulations. You're staying in the exact same spot because everyone's doing that. And so Queens is, as we, you know, are really stewarding an incredible past, an important history, and a great culture, we're trying to, you know, define who we are in the 21st century and why we can leap into that top group. So it's a, a complicated answer. Yeah. And, 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 you know, sometimes the audience just wants to talk about higher ed like it's one thing. It is one of the most differentiated, you know, products and, and economies that exists um, from every perspective, and you just can't. You just have to be comfortable with. I am completely bullish on the future of American higher education, and I could not be more excited about the future of higher education in Charlotte. 
when you when you read or listen to media a lot of times talking right now about higher ed they there's discussion about you know is the public kind of souring on it are people feeling like it's not as important as it once was when you hear those stories or read those stories what's your take on that well, a couple things, and, and Adrian, I'm sure you have lots of thoughts on it because this is this is her day job, right? <laughs> she has to think of these families and and these influencers and and this reality. One, it's true. It's really troubling. It's true, right? When I think about uh, uh, the the American higher education to arrive at a place of such you know changing public perception and mounting you know distrust. And, you know, dissatisfaction, it's really disappointing when I think about the history of our nation. To go away from our ace card right now, which has always been throughout history, American higher education and how it's led us through difficult times is really disappointing to see and to hear. So I feel like part of my job is not to only be a champion for for Queens, but to be a, a champion for what is the envy of the world. There's a reason why millions of students from all over the world for decades plus come to us and why our students don't go everywhere else. It's because we're the best at this tertiary experience of education that is beyond K through 12, right? So we need to not lose that. We need to actually double down on American higher education. But the reality is you're, 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 you're saying factually accurate things. It's really disturbing the polarization and how education has become so politicized. Right. And I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not going to characterize who are the villains in this story, but it is doing an incredible disservice to our nation. And truly what is historically been the privilege of this nation is to have that advantage. And it's not guaranteed that 50 years from now we will have that advantage. So just sorry, to, uh, no. I'm, I'm going to hop off my soapbox now and and talk to someone who actually, you know, has to confront this out there in the public every day. Right. Well, it behooves us to tell our story with greater clarity. Right? Education, especially higher education, as we think about the communities that are graduating from high schools, there's more. there are fewer graduates and a greater percentage of these graduates are coming from families and backgrounds that are unfamiliar with higher education, that haven't had the opportunity and the privilege to participate in higher education. And so We've got to draw connections and relevance to the experience in in different ways and, and all of the things that we're doing here at Queens by changing up the curriculum, by exposing students to what it means to think across disciplines, like that can feel really abstract when you don't know what a discipline is or a department is. And then once people are here, and this is something that Queens has been doing for a really long time, that, that connection to career, that connection to life after college, the way people's trajectories are changed, and we're showing students this is why you need to be here and, and demonstrating to families that this is a valuable experience because it has been a valuable experience for our history, and it's needed to continue to to push society forward, to make sure we're, we're understanding what's real, what's not real, especially as we get exposure to greater and greater information. One of, one of the most important things about our educational experience is that we're exposing people to the variety of information they're receiving and empowering our students to interrogate that information so that they know what is information with integrity 
and what is information that needs to that we need to be skeptical of and and it is really sad that folks are increasingly skeptical of the higher education experience but but for me in my role um, thinking mostly about the the chief storyteller here it's a it's a challenge to make sure we're demonstrating the relevance of higher education day in and day out and continuing to build upon that story for the greater society to to receive and then to act upon. Do, do you feel like the, the recent announcements with Elon opening a law school in Charlotte and then Wake with the medical school were kind of getting there in terms of the Charlotte, people looking at Charlotte and thinking of us as, you know, a university town? Yeah, you know, I, I think those, that's a, Christina, that's a really, really important note. And I, I take that as, you know, prima facie evidence of the, the demand for higher education in Charlotte couldn't be greater. You know, we are, are called to grow because there are more opportunities. You know, markets do that. And what these institutions who aren't Charlottean are noticing is that there's more opportunity. There's more demand for higher education products in Charlotte. So they're coming here. I think there's a moment here, and I'm talking to, these are wonderful places. I know the leaders at these places. But talking to the folks of Charlotte, right, and who will hear this podcast, right, one way or the other, a decade from now, Charlotte will be defined as a stronger higher education institution. Will it be because we've actually invested and empowered and nurtured the homegrown institutions that have been here for hundreds of years? Or is it because we will, you know, just allow, you know, more new folks to come into the community, right, and do the things that we could have and should be doing for ourselves, right? I, I think that's a, that's a choice. And I'm hoping, and there's evidence that that's, you know, there's a little bit of that's the Charlotte way. Bring in new folks, you know, don't worry about the corridors of opportunity, Bring in new folks to be our workers. I think it's time that we invested in ourselves. And we have an incredible team, an incredible product, an incredible strategy that with, you know, everyone coalescing around the homegrown institutions, right? Charlotte up the road at UNC Charlotte, Johnson C. Smith, CPCC, Queens, we're ready to roll. And you don't need to look far to find us. Do you think that we're going to be seeing more big announcements like like that that have come from these other outside of Charlotte institutions within Charlotte at some of these Charlotte schools? Well, you know, I'm not in their boardroom and, but if they want to invite me, I'm happy, happy to listen in. And again, Charlotte's one of the most dynamic markets in the country. And if you look at the data right around, you know, college attainment and graduate degree attainment, there's opportunity. There's, there's need for us to upskill and create more educational opportunities and we are rising to the occasion to do more of that work. So are my colleagues, you know, at Smith and at Charlotte, and we're ready to do that work. And I hope that we will continue to be in, you know, a welcome place for everyone, but that we will truly remember and invest in those homegrown institutions. Well, that seems like a great place to wrap up. President Dan Lugo and Vice President Adrian Amador Odi, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me here on campus um, in this beautiful podcast studio. It's just really been an honor to talk to you today. Well, it's been, been my pleasure and you are home. So anytime you want to hear more about Queens, please do ring me up. That's it for today. The Charlotte Ledger podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. Check out the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com.
queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Queen City Podcast Network.